Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with our Wednesday evening Bible studies here in this podcast. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Anyway, uh, we're talking about the six abodes of Satan, and now we're, I think we're, we talked about uh, him coming to earth in two forms, roaring lion of destruction, angel of light for the purpose of deception. Okay, so now we're talking about the earth. The, 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 the future aspect of Satan is that he will eventually be cast not only from the third abode where God is when he makes a run on the throne. They will attempt to try to take the throne of God forcefully in the midpoint of the tribulation. Once he does that, I mean, it's, it's just like, like uh, Michael takes him down real easy, no problem, and he's cast to earth at that point in time. So when he's cast to earth, that means he's now kicked out permanently out of heaven, the third abode, and he's also kicked out, along with his demons, fallen angels, of the second abode, or the second heaven, which is the, we, we would consider space. Okay, So he's, that's where they're at. Right, is in space. That's their hab- uh, habitation. Then he's finally kicked out and sentenced to be confined on the earth. That's where in Revelation 12 it'll say that Satan's been cast down to you. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, for Satan knows his time is short. So Satan knows once he's been cast to the earth, he has three and a half years to to combat the second coming of the Messiah through the Antichrist. And it's at that point that he empowers the Antichrist with doing signs and wonders along with the false prophet and resurrects um, the Antichrist. And um, at that point, um, everything goes in full charge. The Antichrist then controls the whole entire planet. He takes three of the kings out, uh, seven submit to him, and that's when he issues the mark of the beast. Uh, system. Well, the system will be in place. As you can see, the system is being put in place right now. He will, it will then be on, uh, he can take control of the system and you will have to receive his mark in order to buy and sell medical. Everything will be on there. Tracking devices, everything, banking, everything will be on there. And so at that point, that's when all things get kicked into gear in the tribulation. And they, then the tribulation goes through what we call the great tribulation, which is a ratchet up from the first half. At that point, then, God is sending the bold judgments to the Antichrist's kingdom and destroying them. And then the last aspect of the judgments come with the second coming of the Messiah, where he actually uh, kills the Antichrist, kills the false prophet, and then he confines Satan for a thousand years into the um, bottomless pit. So that's eventually coming in the future. And then uh, he'll be confined to earth like we talked about. Heavens will rejoice uh, and a woe for earth dwellers due to his wrath. Now, the woe is an oive uh, in Hebrew. It's, they, that's how they say woe is oive. And what it means is that there is, there's judgment, judgment coming on the people who are following the Antichrist. So it's not just the Antichrist, it's those who follow him. Now, what we're noticing right now is the followership uh, of human beings right now is on full display of how easy it is to get human beings to uh, go along with lies and narratives and, and out of fear they comply. 
And that's happening right now. So imagine the kind of fear you will see in the tribulation, and then they 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 uh, they, they submit to the Antichrist because he says, "Hey, man, we got this. We'll take care of this. I'll protect you. I'll be your God. I'll be your savior, and we'll get through this." So they're going to give allegiance to him very easily. It won't be something that's resisted. Of course, believers will resist, obviously, but unbelievers will just continue to to be sucked into this. So, the, so what I want want to say about this is. That that time period is the dividing line in humanity. Right now, the dividing line is death. You make your decision for Christ before you die, and when you die, that's it. You don't get a second chance, right? Well, in the tribulation, that movement of a dividing line will happen when the mark of the beast is issued. You take the mark of the beast, there's no return back. This is a practice of worship. The person knows what they're doing. It's not an accident. And it's a dividing line between those who worship Satan and those who worship God. And that's how it is. And uh, unlike what John MacArthur says that, well, you can still return uh, after. No, Revelation 14 says you don't. That's, and I'm going to follow the scriptures. He's wrong on that. I don't know why where he would get that at. But anyway, that's the dividing line. So <clears throat> what you're seeing right now is the people getting prepped for the Antichrist mentally as they comply through fear. Anyway, go ahead, Paul. You about uh, in those times, your own family will turn against you, your own children, your own, if you won't take the mark of the beast, or they will try and press you, you know, it's just not going to come from Satan. He's going to use your own family. Yeah. Absolutely. Just like he does today. But yeah, back over there, they will actually turn in their own family to the Antichrist. That's how bad it will get in families. And right now, you know, you, you've, got, you've got historical examples of families turning in families during the Nazi uh, regime and other things like that. But now we're seeing instances of that kind of thing that happened with the COVID and, and the vaccines and stuff that people were playing outside during the shutdowns and the neighbors... Uh, wanted to report them and did report them to authorities saying, these people are out of their house, their kids are outside playing in the street, they're going to spread, they're a super spreader. And we had, we had Americans turning in Americans for that. And that's really, that mentality is not going to go away. It's going to continue to build to where someone will be so loyal to the government that they will turn on their family. Now, a lot of the talking heads that I listen to, they have a lot of anecdotes of people calling in and saying that, you know what, um, our, our, our millennial children, like I think I mentioned this to you, they say they won't have us over for Christmas or, or Tur uh, Turkey Day because I'm unvaccinated. And so you guys just need to stay away. So right now, you, the divide is happening too. And these people are belligerent about it. They're, they're out of their minds. So this whole mentality that you're seeing, it's not going to get better. We're not going to have a revival and people start thinking straight. They're going to keep thinking worse and worse and worse and more compliance, more compliance. Look, what, I'll, I'll show you this in the, in the prophecy update later on, but think about the mentality of the Swedish people right now. Now, what do you mean? Well, the Swedish people um, um, are now willing to accept um, microchips in their back of their hand, right there by their thumb and their right hand, instead of carrying a, a vaccine passport. They would rather have it in their skin. 
And they're going around swiping it and all this other stuff. And it's like, you fools, do you not see what you're doing? You're thinking this is convenience, but this is control. And eventually you're doing the thing that eventually the Antichrist will already, it'll already be in place. And, well, we're just going to use whatever's in your right hand or your forehead, and we're going to just use that for the mark of the beast. So these people in Sweden are just giving in to this stuff. It's really sick, but it's satanic. It's deception, and the God of this world has blinded them. That's how powerful it is. Anyway, um, then eventually he's thrown into the abyss, the abuso, the bottomless pit, for a thousand years. Now the demons and fallen angels are confined in other places uh, during the millennial kingdom. They are confined, uh, a group of them are confined at Babylon, this, where Babylon was destroyed in, in the tribulation. And the other ones will be confined in Edom. Um, so there'll be two locations on earth in which um, you will see the smoke of their torment arising in the atmosphere from these two locations on planet earth. And this is where they're held until the great white throne judgment. Satan is released at the end along with uh, some fallen angels as well. And they try to seduce the world one more time at the end of the kingdom, but they are thoroughly destroyed by Christ himself with fire from heaven. But again, that's where they will be for at least a thousand years. Where am I at? Okay, Dennis, go for it. Hi, Pastor. I hear so much about an etching, a mark, um, a visible mark. Is there any scripture, is there any way of knowing for sure, is this something that's internal or is this something that's external that's actually viewable? It could be both. I, I mean, um, it can't be dogmatic because you can take you can take the word to be um, under the skin, but it can also be taken visibly. I can see it, but maybe it's both, Dennis, that it is under the skin, but it is visible. Now, again, I don't know. Um, but, you know, they have some of the, Bill Gates is making that Lucifer A's uh, thing that you push in that under, what is that, black light, it, you can see if someone's been vaccinated or blue light or whatever it is. They have that now. I don't know if that will be used. If you have a chip, it, that's not necessarily seen, right? Unless someone like, hey, look at this, you can see it under the skin. But it appears that it might be both. That, that whatever they put on people is visible. Because, look, not only will you be able to scan things, but you're going to walk around society with something, a visible mark of your loyalty to the Antichrist. And those who are not loyal obviously don't have any marks on them. So I think it's both and. It could be very both. You need a visible thing for persecution, which will happen greatly. They're going to be cutting people's heads off, right? It's just the, the tribulation sense are going to have their heads cut off because they don't have a mark. And whether that's visible or they scan them, whatever. Um, so, Dennis, that's a good question, and it can go both ways. So I don't know. I, I have a funny hunch it's going to be something like both. You know, something we can scan, but something that's very visible. Because what what is the mark of the beast doing? What um yeah, we know it's the buying and selling, it's the medical, it's the digital, it's the whole thing. But you got to understand what the spiritual is about. The charisma, the mark of the beast, is a counterfeit 
to the mark of God on believers. That's what he's counterfeiting. Now, in the, the spiritual realm, the demons and fallen angels can see that you are marked. They know who are believers or not, because in the spiritual realm, you have Yahweh's name attached to you as property of Yahweh. And this is why in the occult, they know who are believers or not and who to mess with and who they can't mess with. And that's very well documented that they try to put curses on those who are Christians and, and they're not allowed to. They're forbidden. They can put curses on unbelievers and stuff like that, but they don't do that to believers because believers um, are, are, are seen visibly in the spiritual realm as property of God. The interesting thing, I was listening to one time a, a converted witch been heavily involved in the occult, paganism, and stuff like that. And she said that she could easily see who believers were and who weren't. And she said because in the spiritual realm, the believers shined. But unbelievers didn't. And so when you hear you know the stories about that from people in the occult and that they knew that they couldn't put curses on, on believers, they couldn't touch them for some reason, and then had a luminescent feature about them. I, I think there's some legitimacy to that from the spiritual realm. Because we are marked by God. We have the seal of the Holy Spirit on us. And so obviously they would that would be that that we, we can't see that physically, but that benefits the spiritual realm. Because <coughs> Uh, the writer of Hebrews says that uh, as a believer, um, Satan cannot kill you. It's a big deal. Uh, <laughs> because he can kill unbelievers. They're vulnerable to him. And if he wants to have his way with them, he kills them. And he does. Um, what, he killed Job's family, didn't he? Right? He was behind all of that. He killed them. Of course, he had permission, right? But he killed him. He killed him. And he does that, quite frankly. And he does it through suicides. A lot of people that get involved in the occult end up committing suicide because of the pressure that they put, them on in, put on them in the occult world to commit suicide once Satan is done with them. But what does Satan want to do? He's a murderer. His, his agenda is to murder humans, to wipe them completely out. Anyway... Um, then eventually at the great white throne judgment, you will be there to watch the judgment of Satan and the demons and the fallen angels and, uh, and unbelievers as well at the great white throne judgment. And, uh, he's cast into the lake of fire. Now we don't know where the lake of fire is. Um, it's not on this planet. That's for sure. Um, but we do know that in this planet, uh, is Hades or Sheol. And we do know that Tartarus is inside the planet. We do know that the Abuso, the bottomless pit, is there. And we do know that the pit is there. This is where uh, unregenerate human beings go. And we know Abraham's bosom or paradise, uh, well, used to be paradise. It's Abraham's bosom, the good part where believing uh, believers went to before the cross, is there. It's now empty. So there's four compartments in planet Earth spiritually speaking. And so three of them still have inhabitants in them. Um, and, of course, the, the earth will be renovated during the millennium, but it's not made new. It's not a new planet. It's renovated. And so, so that's where Satan will be is inside the planet for a thousand years. Um, 
And I know that, you know, when you, when you see this, you know, you, you see cartoons, uh, uh, and, you know, you even see medieval art. It's not too far off. I mean, if, if these places are in the center of the planet, it totally makes sense. Because when you're, you're given the term abuso, a bottomless pit, you think, well, what, what is a bottomless pit? Well, the only place in the universe that you could have a bottomless pit is in the center of the earth. Because every direction you go, there's no bottom. Because it's, it's a round ball. So it doesn't matter if you come from the north, south, east, and west. It's always bottomless because there's no bottom to it. And that's geometrically what makes sense when it's, it's called the abuso, the bottomless pit. Okay, where am I at? Okay, Karen. Brandon, I think we all want to know, will we witness this? Yeah, so you will witness the judgment of Satan, the fallen angels, the demons. In fact, Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians that you and I will judge angels. Um, and so we're not going to judge good angels. That's not who's under judgment. He refers to as judging bad angels. So you and I will participate with the Messiah in judging these fallen angels uh, and Satan himself. And uh, you will get to see Satan one day. You will get to see fallen angels and in, in all that they were doing. You'll see the Antichrist. You'll see the false prophet um, all standing before God as their judge. And we actually play a part in that. How we play a part in it, I'm not sure. But it, we play some part in the judgment of this. Messiah allows us to be a, a part of that judgment. And I, I, again, I don't know all the, how, that would, how that works. But um, rest assured, you're going to see all the enemies of God. They, were, they will march right in front of you. And um, it's funny that, that when, when you see when Antichrist enters Sheol, when he dies, when Messiah kills him, according to Isaiah 14, the inhabitants of the pit, not the bottomless pit, but the pit, Say, is this the man who made the nations tremble? Because they're shocked. They're, they're, it, because they're like, this one guy did all of this? And it's like a mockery. Like, who is this guy? He's nothing compared to the Messiah. So they mock him even in his death. He is resurrected, and so is the false prophet, and they're cast into the lake of fire. Um, and, and, and one of the things I'll, I'll just add on to this is um, people will be resurrected but not in a glorified sense when they're judged because they will enter into uh, the lake of fire body and soul, not just their soul. It's their body that they're judged for the deeds done in their body and they're cast into the lake of fire by their body with their body. And, um, and so they, they um, even the old Testament talks about the resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. And so does Messiah. He talks about the, both resurrections happening um, to unbelievers and believers alike in the gospel, but they're not glorified. Yeah, right there. So what is the purpose of locking Satan away for a thousand years and then bringing him out to fry him? Okay, good question. <clears throat> so the first thing is, is, I guess let's start back with the understanding of the... the the, the Vedic kingdom that's promised, the Messianic kingdom, that Messiah is going to rule and reign for a thousand years. The reason for the Messianic kingdom is to fulfill all the promises that God made to Israel. Every one of them. And there's lots of them, okay? 
all those promises will be fulfilled in the kingdom. And one of the aspects of the kingdom is that there is no tempter in the kingdom. There is no, no, nobody introducing evil like Satan did into the garden. Okay, so this is a different dispensation, and it is the kingdom without temptation, outside temptation. And so that's one of the promises. And so God is making good on that by chaining Satan into the bottomless pit and the demons at Babylon and in Edom. Now, that, that's the, the reason for the lack of him. But why then is he released at the end? Okay, well, understand that the messianic kingdom is idyllic conditions. It's not heaven, but it's very ideal. There's still death. People die at 100 years old if they haven't made a profession of faith in Christ, and that's the limit. So they, they die at 100, uh, and he goes on for 1,000 years. Um, and so people are living in an idyllic condition with no threat or temptation from the outside. And they're under what we call the, the rule of the rod of iron by the Messiah. Now, the rod of iron rule is very different than the dispensation that we live in. The rod of iron rule means that Christ himself does not allow any evil to be perpetrated whatsoever on the planet. If someone attempts to do it, they're immediately struck down. So, because of that, there is no people, you know, trying to steal, trying to kill, or anything like that, because they're killed. The rod of iron, he just kills them. You're going to play like that, you're dead. And so what you start realizing after centuries and centuries going on, no one is doing anything sinful outwardly. Because they'll die instantaneously. Okay? But something's still in them. So as these people are born to the tribulation saints, Jew and Gentile alike, uh, they have babies, right? They populate the planet. The Gentiles, though, have these babies, and these babies have to come to the faith in the Messiah, just like anyone else. And um, But what will happen is that if they don't, even before their 100 years are over, they will already have made a decision that they're not going to accept him. And so you start having rebellion, not outwardly, but in the heart. Okay, But you'll never know it outwardly because it's hidden. But they're rebelling inside, and that's why they die. Okay, So you don't see their rebellion. They're not going to talk about their rebellion. They're not going to talk about it. Uh, with anybody because lest they die, but it's still here. So the ultimate test then for that type of environment is to release Satan at the end to prove the hearts of humans, to show that even though they outwardly conform to me, inwardly they didn't and they rejected me. And when I gave them uh, their freedom to rebel against me and follow Satan, they did. And he puts the rebellion down, but it, it is to prove that inward rebellion was there all along. Even in idyllic conditions, 
much different than the Garden of Eden. Um, there was no tempter in, in the in the millennial kingdom. So it's to prove man. But okay, so back up and let's let's look at all the scheme. So we, we typically say there's seven eras or seven dispensations. In every dispensation that man has been put under, Edemic, Edenic, Abrahamic, Mosaic, Church, Age, Age of Grace, Messianic, every dispensation, all seven, which is the symbol of perfection, proves that man fails in any environment I put him in. And because of that, it proves man's need for a savior in every dispensation. Because man can't do it on his own. Even if I put him in the most idyllic conditions, he will still rebel against me. That's what it's proven. Hello, friends and fellow believers. My name is Wyatt, and I am the podcast director here at Rock Harbor Church. When the Lord led me to propose this podcast ministry to Pastor Brandon and our elders, I had no idea that God would use it to reach so many people. But for the first time and on into the future, I have the first church update about the groundbreaking of our permanent building and an advertisement specifically for the podcast. To date, our shows, the Anchor Sunday Sermons and Bible Study have reached over 70 countries, been streamed and downloaded over 200,000 times, and are heard on six continents. To the point that we've even seen small groups of believers meet each week just to consume the word from a phone, tablet, or computer. For all of that, I thank the Lord. Our shows are asked to advertise constantly, but when we started this ministry, we decided that it would be just that, ministry. Plus, can you imagine the ads they would put on our shows? Easily, there'd be something about vaccinations. So along with Pastor Brandon's update about the groundbreaking of our permanent building site, I have good news on our front as well. As of the show going up, we now have a fully functional online merchandise store. It's print to order and so far has a few shirts, sweatshirts, phone cases, and stickers. And much more will go up as we get the designs. The shop link will be in the description of this episode, or you can go directly to rockharborchurch.store. That's the same URL as our website, but instead of .net, it's .store. rockharborchurch.store. All proceeds will go directly to evangelism. Our reach is so wide, and it brings me so much joy to think about all of you having the opportunity to wear our shirts and continue to go there for and make disciples. But even if you can't afford it, still, go. As always, ministries like these shows are funded by people just like you, so if you'd like to give, please visit our website, rockharborchurch.net. Though you listen online, keep this close to your heart. The church is not a fancy building full of high-priced suits and $30,000 musical equipment with fancy graphics. The church is the people, and every single one of you is a member of our church. Be well, friends, and have a great, great week. Now back to the show. So, quick question. So, after the rapture and we get our new bodies, are we still going to have our sin nature then? No, your sin nature is removed at that point. So, so then it's just people that survive the the, the tribulation. tribulation. Yes, they also have their sin nature. That's right. Their children will have the sin nature. That's right. And so, the sin nature never leaves, but it's controlled from the outside, right? Because just imagine you try to do something, and immediately, I mean, literally, you'll be struck down. There's no cops needed. 
because Messiah will just strike you down from Jerusalem no matter where you're at in the planet. You try to steal a car. I don't even know if we have cars. You try, try to steal something. I don't know. But you're not going to get past taking the first step. Boop, you're dead. That's it. You try to do something. Boop, that you're dead. That's what the rod of iron rule means. Okay, It's instantaneous judgment if you try to step out of bounds. Well, I think you're going to learn pretty quick. I'm not going to do that. Right? And so... You, but inside, they're seething in rebellion. They're seething. You have God manifested on the throne, and they still rebel against him in idyllic conditions. There's no poverty. There's no hunger. There's no thirst. There's nothing. Perfect weather. Everything's ideal. That's it. And still, it's not enough for them. Pretty sad, isn't it? Pretty sad. But I will say this. That generation that rebels against the Messiah in the Messianic kingdom has been labeled by theologians the wickedest generation to ever live in history. Why so? Why, are they, why would theologians consider them the wickedest generation to ever live on the planet? Let's get it. Yeah, sepulchers. Because they get to see Jesus. That's it. They're in front of Jesus in His glory. Not hidden, glory. And they have idyllic conditions. Um, and there's no tempter. That's different. Having no tempter is different, different than the conditions in the Garden of Eden, right? There's no, there, was a, there was a tempter in the Garden. And so this makes them the worst of the worst of humanity is that is that key day i love this the scripture where god says that man's heart is desperately wicked, wicked and there's no good in him and so watching this play itself out in a perfect environment and yet they still um they still rebel just shows god just shows us that we are desperately wicked and yep. there's no good in us no matter what the environment looks like right and 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 that we need Jesus. Okay, so think about this. Now this goes into the political realm. This is how you apply this. The left believes that humans are inherently good. Right? That's what they start with. They start with the premise that, think about this, that if you put humans in the right economic or social conditions, then they will be nice. Now, isn't that funny? With what you learn right now about the seven dispensations, the seven dispensations prove, I don't care what environment you put man in, he's sinful. He's going to sin. So you see, even when we go into the political realm, and this is how you apply this, you always, always have to know that man needs checks and balances in any political thing. When you have a person that won't ha accept checks and balances, guess what that person will do? The power they have at their hands, at their disposal, they will corrupt it. That's just the nature of humans, right? And so yet, so we're fighting the school systems because the schools think that, oh, these kids just need uh, money and they need free lunches. And they need uh, Google Chromebooks, and they'll be they'll be better. They're going to be nicer kids. It's not true. 
doesn't work, you can pour all kinds of money into that, that kid. It's not going to come out any different until his morality changes. Well, how are you going to change his morality? Well, he has to change his morality based on someone holding him accountable, which would be God. So if you take God out of the equation, there's no point of morality. And so you're, you're hoping these kids are nice or good or these people are participants in society that are good based on no accountability. Well, they're not going to be. And it doesn't matter the economic levels, right? So a poor person who steal, steals a packet of gum at a 7-Eleven is no different than the white-collar guy who's doing, you know, funny business with hedge funds. There's no difference. One's a white-collar crime, one's a blue-collar crime. It doesn't, di doesn't make a difference. One is just stealing a smaller item while the other one's stealing a bigger item. It doesn't make a difference. They're still stealing. It doesn't matter the environment. The white-collar crime is just as bad. You know, these, uh, these political elites have all the money. Why don't they just retire and sell off into the sunset? It's not enough. So they have to continue to lie, continue to pr pr uh, do false narratives to get more money, more power. That's what it's all about. They never retire. Have you noticed that? Nancy Pelosi's what? 110? What is she now? You know? And she won't retire. She won't give up the ghost. Hey, Nancy, take your money, take your millions, and go sell off in the sunset. Oh, no, I'm not doing that, because I would. I'd go kick back if I had that kind of money. No, I probably wouldn't. I'll probably, they'll, they'll, they'll put a toe tag on me when I'm done working. But you, you, you get what I'm saying, right? There's no end to their evil. There's no end to it because they have to keep do, doing wrong to get more and more and more. And so they're never done with their work. Never done. Yeah. So, Brandon, I just wanted to add to what you said because Nancy Pelosi bought a retirement place in Florida. <laughs> So in Florida, yeah, so in DeSantis' state, huh? Right, so she's that's been, ironic. Seriously, so she's been like, you know, complaining and everything about, you know, Ron DeSantis. And, yeah. um, and now we have more Republicans in Florida than we've ever had. So Republicans are now the majority in Florida. So I just think it's funny that she's leaving California, and this is supposedly her state. So she is trying to retire, but it is true what you're saying, that now we have the oldest leaders ever, and it's all ever. because they won't give it up. Yeah, they won't. You know, and, and, you know, the funny thing is it, her own policies are what caused heavy taxation. She's trying to avoid taxes by going to Florida. She's the one who voted all these taxes in. That's what's happening in all these other states that are turning purple, by the way. These, these liberal Californians are leaving California because they don't like the taxes. And it's like, you dummy, you're the one who voted these people in for the taxes. You stay here and take it. But they won't, right? They're always scheming. And so, so, so they are turning Texas purple, they're turning Idaho purple, they're turning all these other states purple because they're fleeing their own votes, basically. Weird, weird huh, how that works. Anywho, where am I at? Okay, go ahead. Uh, I saw this, uh, I can't remember exactly where it was on the news, and they were saying it was a report that said that the millennial people that are having kids now are basically, and I don't know exactly what the percentage was, but the vast majority are taking God out of uh, their upbringing. So basically, oh, yeah. raising kids without Jesus or any any knowledge of that. So, you know, in a few years, you're going to have a vast majority that 
will lead right into this. Oh man, you're you're dead on, man. And that's a problem with the millennials uh, raising kids, man. They raise ungodly kids, not on purpose, but that when you devoid the children the opportunity to grow in God and know the Bible, they're going to be ungodly. There's what else do you expect? So we shouldn't be surprised by the, the, the results we get by people raising kids like that. Go ahead. Is there anything in the scripture where uh, a Christian family or their kids or the kids that are out there or babies will be raptured? Is there any scripture? No, there's not. But it's a um, deduction, I would say. Because I've, I've had people ask me about that. Well, is God going to take the children and the babies? Because it says he only takes believers. So how can a child uh, be considered a believer or a, uh, a baby be a believer? Now, there's all kinds of weird thoughts about that. I think that through deduction, okay, through deduction, because I can't point to a scripture, it says believers will be raptured. But through deduction and knowing God's character, okay, and what he did with other children before, uh, lend support with the, where, where I think it's a very good deduction that children and babies are taken in the rapture. Because why? Well, I think you have to understand the nature of soteriology of, uh, you know, the doctrine of, of uh, salvation. In the doctrine of salvation, what is it that condemns a person? A choice to do what? Yeah, to disobey the Lord, to transgress a known law, okay? So when a child reaches an age, I don't know, we call it the age of accountability or whatever, um, but whatever that age is, um, that means that the child knows what, what a sin is and knows how that, that, a trans, that sinning will transgress a particular law, thou shalt not steal or something like that. When the child is aware of transgression, is conscious of that, then that's when they become accountable and become condemned. Okay? One sin gets you condemned, right? According to James, you break one part of the law, you break the whole entire law. So one sin gets you condemned. Okay? So whatever age that happens, 13, 14, 15, 17, I don't know, um, that's when the child is condemned. Okay. If that's the case, how does a baby and a child before the age of accountability even understand what they're doing if they do sin. Say it's five-year-old sins, and by lying. That's a typical hallmark of a, of a child. They lie. Their sin nature creates that in them to do that, right? But is the, is the child conscious of their violating a known law, thou shalt not steal? Probably not. Maybe so. I don't know. It just depends. But my point is, what is it that God condemns you for? You have to be very clear on this. That you have broken his law. Okay? Are you condemned for being born with a sin nature? Why not? Just curious. What would be your reason? If a Calvinist came to you and says, hey, you know, you're doubly condemned. You're condemned for the sin you do and you're condemned for being a sinner. You're, see, in Calvinism, you're doubly condemned. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you're condemned for the sins you do, the consciousness sins that you are aware of. 
Okay, so, so if you're making the argument to me, and let's pretend I'm a Calvinist, and you're saying you're not condemned for your sin nature. Um, why? Why doesn't hold God hold you accountable for the sin nature that's in you as a baby? Yeah. Right. The child, the baby, has not made a choice to do anything, right? They inherited the sin nature, right? So what we understand is that we're not culpable for inheriting this sin nature. We're, in, we're culpable for exercising the sin nature by sinning. Therefore, there's where we get the concept of the age of accountability and where we would hold to children and babies who have not reached that point are not condemned for their sin nature. Okay, And that's where deduction based on soteriology comes in, and we would say no children and babies would go in the rapture. Now, what happens after that is also a matter of conjecture, and um, there's debate among rapturists about what happens. Now, I'll give you the, I'll give you the talking points. I'm not saying I, I hold to this view, um, but some of uh, some of our people, not people, but prophecy guys and stuff like that, they would say this: that if the child, the baby, goes into heaven in the rapture, which we, they all agree with that, but still didn't make a decision. This is their conjecture, not mine. This is their conjecture that the child then would get that chance to make that decision in the millennial kingdom. And they will have to make that decision on their own because only people who make a decision for Christ go to heaven. That's their logic, okay? I don't, you know, again, this is that, that's their view as far as conjecture. I don't know really how that works because it's a lot of adding in on a lot of things we don't know. Um, and so, yes, they're raptured, but they're still going to have to make a decision. And it could mean if they don't make a decision for Christ in the millennial kingdom, they will go to hell one day. I don't subscribe to that view because you have to do a lot of gymnastics to get to that view, in my opinion. I think the simplest answer by deduction is probably the best. That the children and the babies who are raptured, they don't have to live through the millennium. To, they're, they're, they're going to be transformed, according to 1 Corinthians 15, and they'll be given a new body, one without a sin nature, and they're not condemned. So my point would be, since they're not condemned, they do not need to make a decision for Christ because they're not being condemned. Their, their sin nature is taken away by the overall atonement of the Messiah, which harkens back to Yom Kippur, where when they sacrificed the animal once a year, it what did it do? It covered the sins of all of Israel between those who didn't know their left and their right and were mentally handicapped. So according to what Yom Kippur did, which foreshadowed what the Messiah did, then I would say that the children and babies have their sins taken away because of the general atonement of the Messiah. 
just like someone was mentally handicapped um, or something like that, you know, even severely mentally handicapped that could not consciously understand what they were doing, I would imagine they would go to heaven. I'm not going to be a Calvin and say, well, they're all going to hell because they didn't make a decision. That's, that's brutal. That's absolutely brutal to think like that. That's not knowing the character and nature of God when you make statements like that. So again, that's my opinion about like what happens afterwards. And I, I don't, I don't think the other opinion really holds water. I, I think there's a lot of mental gymnastics you have to do to make that fit. Anyway, where am I at? So I think I know the answer, but I'm not going to, I'm just going to not try to. So Cliff mentioned the millennials raising children that will never know God. Those children will never know him. So how does that change when God said, go and kill every man, woman, and child that stands there? Even if the Nephilim came down and took the woman and forced by a child, was that child, that kind of, is it because they were not pure that God said kill them all? But those women were taken forcibly by the, by the fallen angels. So was there not some innocent, I'm kind of. So, so are you referring back to Genesis 6? Yes. Okay. They weren't taken forcibly. The Hebrew doesn't indicate they were taken forcibly. In fact, the Hebrew states they did it willfully. Now, if you go to the book of Enoch, which is non-canonical, it gives you a little bit of, of Second Temple understanding. So if you want to know the, the Hebraic understanding, and I'm not saying this is canonical, I'm not saying it's scripture, but it's what every Hebrew knew, okay, during the time of Jesus, Second Temple era. So then the children of the millennials, because they're born with God on their heart, even if they're not raised with the knowledge of God, they're still considered innocent because of that. So it's just, they're same as the innocent child now. But in that world, they'll see Jesus on the throne. Okay, so, so back, to, back to this um, Genesis 6 thing. The, the background on why these women so easily married fallen angels who actually manifested themselves in bodily form was because according to Enoch, and again, I'm not saying this is scripture, I'm not saying this is gold, but the tradition holds through oral tradition that the fathers of the women were cutting deals with these fallen angels for secret knowledge. And these girls were willing to do it because the trade-off of the secret knowledge and them being able to have a mighty man of renown, to have these super creatures that they were born to, giants and heroes of renown. That's that heroes of old. That's what it, so it's the idea like, I put it in modern-day terms like, hey, you want to have Superman for your baby? Yeah, okay, well, then hook up with this fallen angel guy here, and you'll have Superman. Okay, and by the way, he's going to give bless your, your dad because he's going to give your dad stuff that humans don't even know. And so according to Enoch, they were trading this information back and forth for the daughters, and the daughters were willing to go for it. And then, so if you go back to Genesis 6, Genesis 6 does not state they were taken forcefully. It's that they willingly actually married these things. So it was, it was a bad deal. This is the, the main reason for the flood. It's because of the genetic, uh, the genetic hybrids that started happening. So when Joshua goes into the land and he tells him, kill everybody, women, children, animals, burn the whole place down. Don't take anything from them because they're all genetic hybrids. They're not really human. And that's what explains the, the, 
the accused genocide that people accused of Joshua of doing, that's why the, that was happening. He didn't do it to every tribe. He did this to the uh, Nephilim tribes. Hope that that helps. Okay, we, we, where am I at? Good? Okay. I was just going to say, if you could go through, I know you've done it before, but it's been quite a while. Um, so a lot of people in here probably wouldn't know that, about how the Nephilim got wiped out by the flood, but then, like you described, they were back in the land of Canaan after the flood. So if you could kind of go through how that all happened again. Well, if you read Genesis 6, 1 through 4, one of, one of the, the verses says, and it happened this way, and it says it happened again. And that's your phrase, and again. Well, we're not told when again in Genesis 6, but when we get into Joshua, you are told when. And apparently, um, even in, in Moses' days, before uh, before Joshua does the conquest, they were, they were fighting uh, giant clans. And so, by indication of Scripture, it happened again in the Promised Land before they got in. Now, I want you to think from this from a strategic standpoint. Why, why would Satan do this again and do it in the Promised Land? Because he knew God was bringing the Jews back. And he's trying to do everything he could to keep them out of the land. And so he, he created a situation where the watchers came upon the, men, the women again, and it did it in certain locations all through this area of the world. And so, you know, when the 12 spies go in there, they're like, no, we're giants to them. There's Anakim, there's Rephaim, there's Nephilim in there, and we're, we're going to get pounded. And, um, you know, average Israeli, 5'5", five, five maybe at that time. Goliath, 9 to 10 feet tall. You can get the picture of why they said we were grasshoppers to them. And so um, that starts the problem right there. And... Uh, you know, it's obvious that they take some of the giant clans out, but they leave some alive. They didn't finish the job. Joshua did not finish the job. They What happened with Israel, they decided to just coexist with them. So much so that, let's see, Joshua is going to the land about 1300 B.C., somewhere in that neighborhood. 1400 BC, David comes along in what, um, 1000 BC? So you're talking about three to 400 years of Nephilim still existing by the time of David. And you know the Nephilim David fought, right? It's Goliath. And why did he pick up five stones? Think he was going to miss? No, Goliath had four brothers. Eventually, the four brothers are taken out later by David's family. Um, they take the rest of them out, and that's the, like, apparently the last of the remaining Nephilim. But the, the Nephilim lasted all the way into David's day. There's a sign, you know, of how long it lasted uh, with Goliath. So um, Satan is, is on the rampage on that situation and tried to, again, mess up the Jews come back in the land, but also to mess up the, the line of the Messiah. Because Messiah has to be 100% human. He can't be, there can't be any genetic markers of hybrid in his line. Yeah. If the flood was to take everybody out, except for Noah and his family, mm -hmm. how did they continue on? 
because the, the like the watchers did it again. Not the same watchers, because the watchers that did it in Genesis 6 got confined to Tartarus. So here's, here's the conjecture, okay? Satan convinced them to do it again, apparently. Another set of watchers to do it again. Now, here's the thing. They knew the penalty at that point, that they would be put in Tartarus. But we get a clue from First Peter about what was said to them by the Messiah in Tartarus. So... So it appears that Satan convinces them to do it again, okay? And knowing the penalty, and so maybe it's something like this. Hey, you need to do this. This is for the team. You're going to take one for the team, but I promise you we'll get you out of there in due time. But you're going to be, you're going to be greatly rewarded by me if you do this again for me. And so, yeah, take, take one for the team, you know, just like, you know, a Muslim would take it for the team for, you know, Islam and blow himself up in a, in a, you know, pizza parlor or something like that. So they willingly did it again. They, they too were put in Tartarus. Um, but the clue we get is when Messiah, um, when he dies on the cross and then, um, he descends into Sheol, he is, the first place he goes is to Tartarus. And he proclaims victory to the inhabitants of Tartarus. Now Tartarus, no humans are in Tartarus, only fallen angels that did what Genesis 6 did and did what in Canaan did, Joshua's time, are in Tartarus. Humans would be in the pit. And then, of course, eventually he went to Abraham's bosom. We know that, and took those people out. But... Why did he go to Tartarus? And it says that he proclaimed victory there to these particular fallen angels. Because these are the fallen angels that, number one, try to destroy the genetic line of the Messiah, and then also the group that tried to keep Israel from going into the Promised Land. And why would that be a big issue? Because Satan does not want Israel in the promised land because he, he, of course, he doesn't know the timing back then, but he knows once Israel's in the land, then it's possible that the Messiah can bring in the messianic age and seal his doom. So they're going to fight Israel from going back in the land. And so that's the little clue we have from Peter is why was it necessary, like during the, the, the three days that Messiah was dead, that his spirit was proclaiming victory in Tartarus? What did he say? Well, we know he proclaimed victory, but it could have been like something like this. You guys tried to stop me. You guys tried to stop my coming. But the fact that I'm here proves that you have failed and seals your doom for what you tried to do you are going to be judged and condemned to the lake of fire. Your, your, your master didn't come to rescue you. You expected Satan to come and let you out of here. But I'm here to tell you, I am master of all, and your doom has come. Something like that. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Bible Study Podcast. We hope that this lesson is a blessing to you and helps grow you towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has another podcast called Anchor Sunday Sermons. 
and it's filled with past and present messages in Revelation, Genesis, and Exodus. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear it, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services for the Anchor Sunday Sermons. Support for both of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up, for our redemption draws nearer.